0: This is the Bad Hops podcast, a baseball podcast where we discuss everything but the box score. So if you're looking for stats on players that might make you nervous, like the fielding percentage of St. Louis Brown's shortstop Wally Spooks Gerber, or the franchise history of the hellacious Diablos Rojo de Mexico, this is not the place. But if you find yourself looking for rabbit's feet for your uniform pocket or sage to smudge on your baseballs, welcome. We're your hosts. I'm Mark Butler.
1: And I'm Jackie McCucci
0: And today we are, with any luck, delving to the weird rituals and superstitions of baseball. Welcome to Bad Hops.
1: I feel like I should start this with bam 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 we might have to pay residuals, right?
0: <laughs> I think so, although I couldn't actually tell what song that that's was, so that's, I think we're that, fine. fine. That's,
1: that's good. No one could tell that I was humming uh, Superstition.
0: Original score composed by Jackie Macucci.
1: It is. It's my own take on superstitious.
0: Yeah, Bad Hops is probably bad mojo, right? We're fairly bleak, negative people, so of course we have a negative title. But is that, in fact, going to, to jinx us?
1: I hope not fingers crossed and rub my lucky rabbit's foot. But yeah, we're going to talk about baseball superstitions and slash rituals because they're kind of tied into each other and sort of the same thing. So I figured I'd kick us off, Mark, with some of baseball's most common superstitions. I'm going to go through, did an exhaustive research on the interwebs on, on baseball's most common superstitions. And I have my top five.
0: So you're going to just talk about Nomar Garcia para for 20 minutes. That That's cool.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I could have, but not <laughs> that for another day. So my t- number one that I have is one that everybody is aware of, and I personally enjoy this one. It's never step on the foul lines coming on or off the field. This is one of my favorites because I really enjoy watching the players. Some of them do it very casually, just you know, as if they're they're walking and there's nothing there. And then there are the guys like El Duque Hernandez, who make a big show out of just hopping over the foul line, you know, being very dramatic about it. Do you tend to watch the players when they're coming on and off the field, whether or not they're stepping on the foul line? Does that ever cross your, your mind when you're watching?
0: In between innings, I'm more concerned with the rolling the ball to the mound thing to see mm. if the ball stays on the mound, which is not necessarily superstition. I think it's more of a side bet thing. So, no, I'm vaguely aware of that. I wonder how much of that is groundskeepers yelling at players saying, hey, we we worked really hard putting that line out there. Don't Please don't mess that up.
1: I mean, maybe that's where it came from. Don't get all that chalk or paint or whatever all over the place, you know, and your nice new cleats. Number two, I have refusing to wash hats, uniforms, et cetera, during a winning streak. Fun fact, one of my good friends that I worked with, he was a huge New York Rangers hockey fan. And when they were on their winning streak in 1994, when they won the Stanley Cup, he he was a season ticket holder and he would wear the same outfit. To every game, and much to his wife's chagrin, he did not wash the outfit that he wore because as you know, you don't wash the uniform, the hat, because it will wash out the luck.
0: And the funk that, the uh, funk. that apparently the the what may have been good mojo, but is then simply bad mojo in, in in my opinion, in terms of what dirty clothes bring you.
1: I had quizzed him too. I said, "I'm hoping that you're washing whatever underwear you're wearing."
0: My lucky underwear? No.
1: Of <laughs> course, why? Of course not. They're encrusted onto me. Okay, I'll stop. Uh, number three. <laughs> <laughs> number three. Lucky bats and gloves. I think that's pretty common. Players have their favorite glove that they use all season long, or their lucky bat. Although they break bats left and right, so I don't know how how much of a lucky bat you could you how long you could keep it. Number four, you're going to talk about a little more later on, and that's never talk about a no-hitter or a perfect game while it's in progress. And number five, I thought this was kind of interesting, especially since there are many, many baseball games, abstaining from sex on game day. So I don't know other than... Tim Tebow, who's abstaining from sex or or why you're abstaining from sex. I'm assuming the reason you're abstaining from sex is because they don't want you out late carousing and they want, don't want you throwing your back out or something like that. That's where I think abstaining from sex comes from. I don't think it has anything to do with superstition.
0: I would love to get some players wives on the podcast, but I don't know any and I don't really want to talk to them that badly. So we'll just we're just gonna go with that and say, well, that's that's weird, you guys.
1: Yeah, that is a weird one. I felt like that's more of what the coach is screaming, you better be in your room.
0: I think that's related to uh, the, the, babe? Our, <laughs> the, the Babe. Yeah, our <laughs> really? favorite
1: our I favorite movie
0: from, from the Bad actually... Hops Film Festival, the 1992 film The Babe, where Babe's big desire in life was not hot dogs, it was not cigars, it was not ladies. It was to be a manager so he could tuck his players in at night. Aw, and keep him off of the the funny business, apparently.
1: Right. That's right. Unlike, unlike him. But Mark, do you have any superstitions uh, that you, concerning the baseball that, that you have regarding your favorite teams? Anything that you do that's kind of silly or ritualistic?
0: My big one is that I won't watch the game if I care about it. The more I care, the less likely that I am to actually watch it because I'm too nervous. Yeah, I actually just, I can't bring myself to do it. It just makes me really feel weird. I will watch the stupid thing on the MLB app. And so I'll watch kind of the, you know, in the 1930s, that would have been waiting for the ticker tape to come to tell you if Dizzy Dean struck somebody out. But now it's like, okay, well, this guy, oh, yeah. Yeah, foul ball, foul ball. Yep, he whiffed it. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't see it. Glad mm-hmm. I didn't glad I wasn't there. So that you know, apart from not watching any baseball games that I care about, I don't really have any superstitions. What about you?
1: Well, funny that you should mention that. I actually have a similar superstition that you do. I get very nervous when games are very important or they count uh, you know, towards something big. So I also have a hard time watching them. I will do the same thing. I will go on Twitter, which is an interesting place to be. I'll go on the MLB app. So I do do that. So uh, um, I definitely have a little bit of that tick. But the other thing I do is I feel like I don't when I'm at home. Because I will do this when I go to when I go to a ballpark. I will wear my teams. I will support my team, and I will wear the gear. But when I'm home, I feel like. It's unlucky for me to wear anything with a Yankee logo on it, and I'll feel like I'm suddenly bringing them bad luck. And I'll have to remove it and wear something that's non-baseball related. So I, that's one of because that's one of my weird tics.
0: Okay, so even if that was your lucky Yankees shirt and they were on a winning streak, you would just rip it off and and put it in the laundry in the middle of a game.
1: I feel like I've never had something that I've <laughs> worn that was my lucky winning streak <laughs> shirt. But yes, I feel like I bring, somehow bring bad luck by wearing the gear of the team when I'm at home. And I somehow can get past it if I'm at the stadium. But if I'm at home, I just, you know, I have to change. I have to be neutral. It can't be anything related to the team or baseball or whatever. So yes, I have some really weird rituals as well.
0: It's funny. I have a been in a long-term relationship with logic Mm -hmm. and if it comes to things like investing or boring work stuff i'm gonna be very dispassionate about it i'm gonna think through everything i'll work through scenarios but then i'll turn on a a baseball game and i'll like nope nope this is this is it i gotta you know what instead of watching Somebody that's in playoff contention, I'll, I'll watch a, a nothing game, Phillies Pirates or something like that. It's like, whoa! I wonder what's happening in Pennsylvania today. That will take my mind off of the thing that I should actually be totally rabid for. I haven't been to a playoff game for 25 years, though, so maybe that's... Well, I haven't had that many opportunities, to be real <laughs> honest with you. But yeah, I, I think I would be... I'd be a little nuts to be real honest, if I went to an actual game that mattered with a, uh, a team that I cared about. So I don't know. I don't know what to do.
1: That's interesting. If I'm actually at the game, I'm okay. There's something about me actually being present that, I mean, I might be upset, but I feel like I'm okay. I am. And my significant other will tell you this. I am absolute misery to watch a meaningful Yankee game with, because I will curse. I will get upset. I will want to shut off the TV. I have a friend that I text with. We both will text and be like, what the heck is going on? What is Boom Do? Like, and that's kind of therapeutic for me. So we'll take out our frustrations among ourselves, but I am not fun to watch a meaningful baseball game with. In fact, I'm sometimes not fun to watch a non-meaningful baseball game uh, with when it comes to my favorite team. So yes, I, I don't know why we do this to ourselves, because I think you and I tend to be logical people, but this is where we get to be illogical, right? This is where we get to be silly and ridiculous is with baseball.
0: Yes, superstitions don't make any sense. They're so deeply rooted, I would love to figure out how far down in the, that lizard brain that we have this sort of stuff. If there were actually cephalopods back in the day, I know those aren't lizards, but work work with me here. I'm okay. just in, in a cephalopod sort of uh, mood. Was there some sort of rivalry that made all of the squids crazy <laughs> back in the day? <laughs> were,
1: were there squids with red socks? Sorry.
0: They had red suckers on their tentacles as as opposed to the the white uh, suckers on their tentacles.
1: Speaking of superstition, I am going to do a deep dive. I'm going to go down the rabbit hole with a man who probably shot that rabbit, skinned that rabbit, and then took his foot and put it around his neck. I'm going to talk about a man who was once dubbed baseball's most superstitious player by Men's Journal your a pal and mine, Turk Wendell. Turk. My sources include articles from Bleacher Report, Mental Floss. There was a really good recent—I think it was from last year—article in the Des Moines Register by Tommy Birch. I got a lot of good source material from there, as well as our old friend Wikipedia.
0: So Wait, let's Turk- have Wikipedia on the uh, on the show sometime. I, I think mean, we should.
1: Everybody, I, I don't think there's a podcast who shouldn't have Wikipedia on. What would we do without good old Wikipedia?
0: Let's, we could have Jimmy Wales come on and ask for $3. That would be, uh, I think That, that would be we nice. could have a pledge drive.
1: We could. We could have a Wikipedia pledge drive. I don't see why not. We would just all read from our favorite Wikipedia pages.
0: Love it. Or but hate anyway. it. I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or hate it. Love it, hate it. Turk Wendell, for those of you who don't remember, was a relief pitcher. He made his major league debut with the Chicago Cubs in June of 1993. He also played for the New York Mets, which is where I remember him from, and the Philadelphia Phillies before ending his career in 2004 with the Colorado Rockies. Now, Wendell was a true eccentric. What do you think of Mark when I when what image comes to mind when I say Turk Wendell?
0: Big, beefy dude that just kind of is uh, ready to throw down.
1: Yep, that's definitely Wendell.
0: And maybe a funky necklace. Is that, am I getting somewhere? Yeah, this
1: funky necklace. Yes, the funky necklace. He was known for uh, many things, but the two things that non-baseball people would probably remember was that He wore the number 99 long before Aaron Judge, and he wore it in honor of Rick Wildthing Vaughn, the main character in the movie Major League. In fact, he loved the number 99 so much that when he signed with the Mets, it was for a three-year deal that was worth $999,999.99. That was a mouthful. Because
0: no one, no one was going to pay him sixty nine million for twenty.
1: <laughs> I am sure something. somebody. I'm sure somebody has done that. I'm. I would bet money on it that somebody's done that. Interestingly enough, he also wore the number thirteen when he came up with the Cubs and during some of his time with the Phillies. But I don't know if thirteen had some type of meaning for him the way the number ninety nine did. But as you mentioned. What most people think of when they think of Turk Wendell is that necklace. He wore a very prominent necklace that was adorned with various parts of animals he harvested while hunting, including mountain lion claws and the teeth of both wild pigs and buffaloes.
0: You had me at harvested.
1: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Look out, Harry Winston. This is a necklace you really want.
0: What are you wearing? Mountain Lion.
1: (laughs) I'm wearing Mountain Lion. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Wendell had a lot of different superstitions and traditions when he pitched. He would chew four pieces of black licorice. Then at the end of each inning, he'd spit them out. He'd go back to the dugout and brush his teeth. He would actually brush his teeth in the dugout.
0: Okay, that's the best of times and the worst of times, in reverse order, of course. I'm I, I'm good for him for brushing, but also disgusting. Where did he spit out the licorice? Just all wherever, probably? I
1: mean, you know what goes on in dugouts. I mean, there there's just <laughs> crap all over the floor of those things. But I can only imagine the taste, right? Licorice and mint. I mean, some people might like that. I don't know.
0: I think that's Jägermeister.
1: I think it might be, actually. Maybe that's why he did it. I don't know.
0: It was a homebrew in the dugout.
1: (laughs) Oh, I don't want to think about that fermenting when it was also a big he he liked to leap over the foul line he was a big foul line leaping guy he said he started doing it in high school after he gave up a run one inning he realized he had walked on the foul line before coming out to pitch and he said he was never going to do it again so he was very hyper focused on not touching those foul lines he also did and this is a lot of pitchers do this he drew stuff on the mound. So he, he drew three crosses and then he would grab his rosin bag and he'd throw it down as hard as he could. But he said the three crosses are because he prays for three things and the crosses represent each one of those. To play the, to the best of my ability, to be injury free and to win. It's like the 4-H plunge.
0: Or something from Corinthians. I'm, I, I, don't re- I don't remember the baseball chapters in the Bible, but I'm sure they're in there somewhere.
1: There probably are, actually. I'm sure there's a baseball Bible somewhere. Um, <laughs>
0: oh, Thou, thou shalt not steal.
1: Thou shalt not steal. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of other notable works as well. Whenever his catcher would stand up, he would crouch down. I don't know if it was a symmetry thing. I'm not sure.
0: I appreciate the sort of synchronized swimming aspect of it that you, or or sort of like the the mechanical toy where like one goes up, the other goes down. Goes
1: down, right? It's kind of a nice little dance. He also insisted that the umpire roll the ball to the mound rather than throw it to him. In fact, if the umpire did throw the ball to him, he would let it go past him, or would even let it bounce off his chest. And once it hit the ground, then he would pick up the baseball.
0: Okay, this is like a craps player in Vegas. Oh, totally. You don't touch the dice. I touch the dice.
1: Might be something like that. Yeah, he would even let it hit him. He didn't care, just wasn't going to catch it. If an umpire really had a thing against him, he could have just like slammed it in his face. Nice. Whenever he would begin a new inning, Wendell would turn around and he would wave to the center fielder. And he would wait for the center fielder to return his wave before he started to pitch.
0: This is now starting to sound like Dennis Hopper in blue velvet. <laughs> A little bit that it's like, hey, we got rules. We got rules, neighbor.
1: Apparently. Another little quirk he had is that he refused to wear socks, saying there's no purpose for them. I don't know if he ever spent time in Chicago in the winter, but ventured to say that socks definitely serve a role. But I also looked up pictures of him, and he's wearing socks with his uniform. So this might have just been a little quirk when he was off the field, because he definitely had socks on with his uniform. I don't know. That might have just been an off-field thingy that he had going on.
0: I will also say that I've been in Chicago in the summertime, and socks serve a purpose there, too, or else your shoes are going to spank.
1: Oh, or be welded to your foot forever.
0: <laughs> little column A, a little column B, sure.
1: <laughs> now, Wendell's quirkiness act began long before he got to the majors. He's always been a quirky dude. He was beloved when he played for the Iowa Cubs, which is he came up with the Chicago Cubs, so he played for their minor league team, the Iowa Cubs, from 1992 to 1994, and he was beloved there. And I could see why, right? Because those minor league teams are always looking for a way to sell tickets. And apparently they had t-shirts made up that said Turks quirks and they would list them and sell them at the games.
0: Okay.
1: So I could, yeah, I could see that he was probably great for marketing when he was there. But when he first started in Iowa, he came up to Sam Burnaby who at the time was the Iowa Cubs president and general manager. And he said he wanted to talk to him. He had an unusual request. And Sam said, so well, what is it? He's like, well, I've got the perfect place for me to live. And Sam said, great, what can I help you with? What do you need done? And he's like, no, 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 all I need is a key to the door. And so Burnaby was like, the door? But what are you talking about, the door? Apparently, the door was to a wooden historical cabin that sits in the north parking lot of that ballpark. But the cabin is a memorial to the military outpost, Fort Des Moines, number two. So Burnaby had to disappoint Wendell and let him know, no, you can't live in this historical cabin that is behind (laughs) the (laughs) ballpark. I would assume there was probably some plaque or something that said what it was, but he just came up to him and was like, can I live there? (laughs) No, no living in historical monuments Wendell was also known for being pretty outspoken and getting making some interesting comments. And he was definitely back page fodder. He was very outspoken about steroids. He criticized Barry Bonds. He criticized his former teammate, Sammy Sosa. And in a 2010 interview, Wendell ridiculed excuses and apologies from players who admitted to using performance-enhancing drugs. He said, when Mark McGuire said he wished he had never played in this era, that ticked me off because he had the same choice as I did. He didn't have to take a shortcut and cheat like that. If he feels that badly about it, give it back to the owners, give his money back to the owners that he took. He'd made these statements throughout his career, and Barry Bonds was like, say it to my face, and he was no fan of, of Turk Wendell. Wendell also repeatedly told reporters that he wanted to play his last season in baseball for free. I want my last season to be a testament to the game he said i only wanted a few things out of life a wife children to play baseball and to hunt deer don't we all
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's my life in a nutshell
1: oh and and
0: playing baseball for free of course because no one has yet to give me a penny for it
1: yeah Uh, apparently he was informed that the players association would not allow him to play for free and Wendell replied, then I'll drop out of the union when the time comes. He did not, however, because his final contract, which was with the Rockies, was for $700,000, which maybe for a baseball player seems like for free, but, you know, technically for the rest of us, not so much. So where is our boy, Turk, now? Despite being born and raised in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and we know someone who was born in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. We do. We do, actually. Okay. Can you guess?
0: The way you're making faces at me, is it you?
1: No, no. No, no, no. Born born and raised on Long Island.
0: (laughs) Okay. I was gonna say your backstory is fluid at this point, but um, (laughs) it must be uh, Miss Rachel.
1: It is Miss Rachel. It is my my lovely wife Rachel was born in Pittsville, Massachusetts. Because I was like, why does that sound familiar? Despite being born and raised in Pittsville, Massachusetts, playing his career mostly in major cities. He fell in love with Iowa. So when he retired, he decided he actually built a ranch in Colorado. But then he was like, you know what? I want to go back to Iowa because who doesn't say that? He now lives on almost 200 acres of land in Adele, Iowa. He said he loves the people there, going to places where he can hunt and fish, He said about his his superstitions that he knew his antics made him memorable. And he said his quirks weren't so much about superstitions as they were about keeping a routine. He said, that's one of the biggest things that separates some guys from playing longevity-wise in baseball, not just health, but they have to have a routine. It's not as much a superstition as it is a routine, and I think that's huge. And that, my friend, is a little bit about baseball's most superstitious player, Turk Wendell.
0: Jackie, that was great. Also, a little weird, but that's we're doing superstitions. <laughs> we so, and 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 possibly a little stinky too, depending on what the the true story of the sock situation is. I was thinking we'd change pace a little bit here, okay. uh, keep it on topic, but also. I'm always judging you.
1: That's true. You do and, that really well, though.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I try to perfect it. I try to make it a bespoke judging experience for you. But I thought maybe instead of judging you today that I would I'd analyze you mm. instead. So I thought How we'd have a little, little uh, therapy session, because why not? I think that's what all the cool kids are doing on podcasts now. So, I, you know, I basically only have two questions for you, which are... Can you tell me more about that, and how does that make you feel? <laughs> so I want to walk through some scenarios with you, okay. and I want to—I want you to relax. I want you to maybe close your okay. eyes. You know, do what whatever you need to. Take couches, some couches are out. I feel like now you just sit in a, a chair and have the box of Kleenex nearby. And and if you need to have a sob break, I I understand because sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you through the ringer here. Uh-huh. <laughs> when you're in a stressful situation. How do you respond? How do you cope when you're like super wound up? It could be work, it could be something at home, it could be just, you know, whatever. What goes through your head when you're stressed out? What, what, how, how do you exhibit that?
1: When I'm stressed out, I will tend to pace around, curse, get angry, but then I center myself. Okay. Do I've been doing, like, you know, I have a calm app, not okay. sponsored by calm, but would love, love calm. Do you have a calm app? Do some meditation, get my breathing, get my breathing in order, kind of talk myself off the ledge. I call it red zone, kind of with Caesar Milan would talk about dogs who (laughs) lose their. when I get those red zone moments, I have to have to stop, calm down, start to breathe. But initially I will, I will definitely, I will curse, I will pace, I will be angry.
0: Very good. This is a very adult answer. And and I I salute you for having that that grounding. I want to walk through some scenarios here. So you are having a bad day at work, or you're very, Mm -hmm. you're kind of pacing around, you're you're muttering, cursing, kind of going through all of that. Do you find it helpful when everyone in your life freezes you out in those moments? Do you you find that to be a very productive and constructive thing?
1: Sure. There's nothing like being ignored.
0: That's kind of how I feel too. So you you feel like the silent treatment really helps you calm down.
1: I mean, right. Who, who doesn't it help? being ignored? I mean, who doesn't feel great about that?
0: Absolutely. I, I think this is we're having a breakthrough and I mm-hmm. really appreciate your honesty here. Does it help you or does it send you into an existential crisis if people on TV and radio and online refuse to address your problems? <laughs>
1: I think I'd feel like I didn't exist, or or that suddenly, you know, the universe was playing a cruel trick on me.
0: But you'd be very aware of this happening too, wouldn't you? That uh, yeah. the, the people on a TV that you aren't watching are <laughs> talking about you and your bad day at work. Obviously, when you are having a bad day and and no one helps you, no one talks to you, no one works through that. That typically makes you feel even crappier. It makes you more stressed. It makes you more unhappy. Can even like lead you down a pretty dark hole. So why on earth if a pitcher is throwing a no-hitter, one of the most prestigious moments in a major league career, why on earth would people not talk to the guy going through this? This Makes me crazy. And, and you, you see it. We had so many no-hitters in the 2021 season. So we got lots of practice as fans. I didn't watch a lot of those games because I got very nervous. <laughs> 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 but I watched the tickers. And, uh, and I know you and I would text back and forth with the uh, two outs in the ninth. It's like, is he going to do it? It's like, cool. Who, who is that? Tyler Gilbert? Who is that? But you see it on TV, especially after the fifth inning. The pitcher that's got a no-hitter going gets the silent treatment. And by the end of the game, by the the eighth or the ninth inning, that guy is sitting by himself on the loneliest corner in the dugout. Personally, if I was going through something of that magnitude and everybody doesn't just give me the silent treatment, but they literally get up and move if I were to sit down next to them.
1: (laughs) As if you smell
0: Right. I would not be thinking about a no hitter at this point. I'd be like thinking about like, F these guys, it's my team. And they're, they're giving me the, the funny business. This has been a tradition. I've actually got a story from ancient memory that I want to, I'll, I'll reference a little bit later. This tradition of not talking to a pitcher during no hitters is, is a longstanding thing as most superstitions are.
1: It is. And most pitchers accept it. But if you read David Cohn's book, it actually drove him insane If you like, during his perfect game. He was actually going into the bathroom and talking to himself in the mirror. So not everyone enjoys being ignored.
0: I've got a story here about Burt Glylevin when he pitched for Texas in the 70s. And he knew he had a no hitter going. And so in the dugout, he went over and talked to his catcher. <laughs> And he said, I looked over at the scoreboard, talking to his catcher, Jim Sundberg. I looked over at the scoreboard and said, Jimmy, you know we got a no-hitter going. And Sundberg got up and walked away. Wouldn't even talk to me. I don't know why. I thought it was kind of funny. It kind of relaxed me a little bit, but it made Jimmy very nervous. If you need to be loosened up, for Pete's sake, give the guy your ear. Let him talk. So Blylevin's sort of joking around. Uh Then he goes on to say, I thought I had friends on a team. Until I got to a situation like that, wow. I feel like your, your whole relationship with your team is sort of falling apart from, from inning to inning here. I would think it would be helpful to loosen up. But the other thing that is nuts to me is if you don't talk to a pitcher, how are you going to give them advice? If a pinch hitter comes in, and you know a pinch hitter is going to come in with the intention of breaking up that no hitter wouldn't you like some intel on the guy? Wouldn't you like to know that he likes uh, sliders low and inside and that you need to pitch him up and away?
1: No question, do they talk, and I can't remember this now, and I have watched some no-hitters, but they do, do they talk to the pitcher when they're out on the field, out, out on the mound, or do they not talk it? I know they don't talk in the dugout, but do they talk out in the field?
0: It is very rare, and I think there is just, there's a cone of silence, sorry David Cohn, if you have to do it. I think it is acceptable, and of course, there's one person that can talk to a pitcher that's throwing a no hitter at any point in the game, and that's the manager. Because we have seen more and more situations where pitchers have been pulled mm. from a game because they've reached their maximum pitch count, or pitcher's health and safety might be compromised if they, you know, if they're at 100 pitches in the sixth inning. The manager can and should take a pitcher out. So that apparently. <laughs> (laughs) Is okay because the manager is still in charge. But then that also raised the question, should you just not talk to pitchers at all? Because at the beginning of the game, they have a no-hitter going too, right? That's true. Every pitcher has a perfect game until they actually go to the mound. That's right. Of course, you know who can talk about a no-hitter at at any point during the game is the opposing team. I read a story about our pal Pete Rose Mm -hmm. when he was playing for the Reds and he was going up against uh, Rick Wise, who was pitching for the Phillies. Oscar Gamble, who has arguably the best hair in baseball, the ginormous fro that no hat could ever really contain.
1: It was was, a thing of beauty.
0: Yeah, he was a pretty spectacular fella. So he was playing for the Phillies. The Phillies had the no-hitter going, thrown by Rick Wise. And Oscar Gamble said, oh, Pete Rose realized what was happening. He was saying he kept... Talking on the field that he was going to break it up. He's like, I'm coming back up. I'm going to be, it's going to be broke up. I know you have a no-hitter going. So he would try to get in the the opposing pitcher's head. Well, now that's when you really need a friend when you go back to the dugout, because if all these loudmouths from the other team are squawking at you, you would think you would actually just like a, a friendly conversation. I read a, another story about, and of course, we don't talk about Don Notabart.
1: I thought you were going to say Don Knotts for a moment there. I was going to get excited.
0: I would love to talk about Don Knotts, and I think there must be some movie where he accidentally becomes a baseball player and girls love him as a result.
1: I'm positive of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Don Knottebart. We also don't ever talk about the Houston Colt 40 vibes enough.
1: No, we don't. We don't. Although uh, I am in a longstanding fantasy baseball league and one of my friends, that's the name of his baseball team is the Col- or the Colt 45s. There's also another another guy who has the Seattle Pilots. Just Seattle random Pilots, information for you I'm throwing out there.
0: I appreciate that. And, Thank and you. That's of course, there is no malt liquor named after the Seattle Pilots. So I'm less interested in that part of the story. Sad. So Don Nottebart, who <laughs> I know you're going to you're going to Barney Fife me at some point here, he was a pitcher for the, the Colt 45s, which I believe only lasted a year before they changed it the into the Astros, kind of like the original style. He had a no hitter going. And ironically, I found this because I was looking to see other superstitions. His wife would never watch him pitch because she was too nervous. So apparently, I, would have
1: been, I would have been that wife. I probably would have been that uh, wife.
0: Apparently, you and I are both married to Don Nottabart in, <laughs> in,
1: in an in alternate another life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What was happening, he got the silent treatment from his fellow Colt 45s. But Gene Mock, who was the manager of the Phillies, a lot of Phillies no-hitter stories tonight. At the beginning of every inning, Gene Mock would yell out from the dugout, the Phillies dugout, You'll never make it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of love that. I Actually, I don't kind of love that. I do love that.
0: Apparently, I, I don't know. That's an approximation of what I've read. But apparently, he has a very raspy voice. And I, I think he was one of those managers that was yelling a lot. So probably kind of had that stripped vocal cord sort of sound. But yeah, I love the fact that that the manager of the other team is trying to torment the pitcher. Again, where is your team, Don Nottebart? Where where are the Colt 45s? They should be joking with you, offering some sort of comfort, or at the very least yelling at the Phillies dugout, getting some some cross-chatter going. I don't know. I think this is a, a, a ridiculous superstition, but it's tradition. What are you gonna do about it? I think there's literally nothing you could do about it. Rob Manfred will probably put a regulation saying that you, you gotta talk to the pitcher. And there's some rule that will speed up gameplay as a result of it. I I, I don't know. I get that the players will do it, but you know who else doesn't talk during a no-hitter? The announcers.
1: Oh, it depends on the announcer, though.
0: Depends on the announcer, absolutely. There are some announcers that it, it is like the most painful verbal gymnastics now we're gonna talk about our, one of our favorite teams, the Miami Marlins, mm-hmm. and the, their announcers, Bob Carpenter and FP Santangelo, which I know we, we're riveted to every call that they're doing. Max Scherzer was throwing a game against the Marlins. The home, the, the home announcing team might've had a vested interest in, in seeing the Marlins break it up. Mm-hmm. They might've also had a vested interest in people watching the game or listening to it on the radio, or, or whatever. But instead of saying that he had a no-hitter, they would say things like, the pitcher was untouched. or That, that, that v-
1: sounds... I don't
0: know. Yeah, <laughs> A little creepy. <laughs> a
1: little, little, little
0: rapey, but go ahead. Or F.P. Santangelo suggested vaguely that viewers remain in the same seats. Now, if you are a hardcore baseball fan, you've already figured it out, mm-hmm. right? But if you are a casual viewer and you were told that the pitcher was untouched and you should remain in the same seat, what are you going to do? You're going to go do something else. You don't care. Literally, in this game, the Marlins-Nationals game where Max Scherzer was throwing a no-hitter, only after one of the Marlins hit a single to break up the no-hitter did they actually use the word Mm no-hitter. I get it. Superstition doesn't Mm -hmm. make any sense. Tradition, it's just the way it is. But the pitcher's not listening to the broadcast. Pitcher is no. not allowed to listen to the broadcast. If I remember my rules correctly, you're not allowed to have any audio or video transmission live in the dugout. How would you know? This is not going to impact you in any way, shape or form. So now this superstition has metastasized and moved out into the fan base. But like you said, not every announcer nope. comes to this. Finn Scully? called 20 no-hitters in a couple perfect games, too. And he was not afraid to tell you that it was a big deal, that something was happening. Not something was happening. A no-hitter was happening.
1: And no one's going to touch Vin Scully.
0: Absolutely. If you want to fault him, I'm going to fault you. Uh, That's just, we'll we'll fight over that, because even though I'm not a Dodgers fan, I am a massive Vin Scully fan. 55-plus years of calling baseball games, I think he knows what he's doing
1: might
0: have known a thing or two yeah i'm also going to just give props to red barber who i also love mostly i only knew red barber as the guy from morning edition (laughs) calling in on public radio but he was a long-standing announcer for the yankees and um, i was it exclusively the yankees or i think in those days maybe you didn't you weren't exclusive to a team i think he might have done a lot of new york games but yeah, the venerable Red Barber in 1958 was asked, what would you do if there was a no-hitter, do you do you keep it a secret? And he said, I don't hold with it. As a reporter, I have no right to withhold the information. The closer the picture comes to a no-hitter, the more important it is to report it. I've telecast several no-hitters and never ignored the obvious. I admit I'm alone in it, but I've never jinxed anyone. There you go. Now we have apps that will give you I have a lot of beefs with Major League Baseball in general, but I will say I'm very grateful for the fact that my phone will buzz when there's three outs left in a game because that's about the time that I'm comfortable watching a no-hitter.
1: Oh, really? See, yeah. I feel like whenever I turn on no-hitter, most of the time I don't have a vested interest in it other than I want to see a no-hitter. And I'll turn it on, be two outs in the night. As soon as I turn it on, suddenly somebody gets a hit. I feel like <laughs> i like got the kiss of death. Although this this past baseball season i did get to see quite a number of no hitters and i mean i have watched i watched david cohn's perfect game as well i kind of understand the the weird thing with the players and the dugout although i do think you should read the room and if your pitcher looks like he probably needs someone to talk to him then i think you should go do it but the whole thing with the announcers come on that's just silly and the announcers take flack for it especially now with social media people go on twitter and like Oh my God, it's like I know um, Michael Kay, Yankees, Yankees announcer. He doesn't adhere to, you know, he says that there's a no hitter going on and people will attack him. Like, really? Really? Like, you really think the announcer is, has any control over whether or not a no hitter is going to occur or not? Well, but social media, as we know, breeds a lot of wonderful, irrational responses to to life in general.
0: As a fan, I want to know. I will exactly. I, I will actually go out of my way. And like I said, last year we had lots of reasons why we would do that. And there were a lot of late West Coast games that I feel like that at 9 30 Pacific mm-hmm. time, it's like, hey, Jackie, it's like, are you still awake? It's like, not really. But there's a no-hitter. It's like, yep, I know yeah, my phone it... buzz too. So, but <laughs> yeah, but it's exciting. Sure. You you, it is. you you wanna you wanna get whipped up. You want. With 162 games in in a season, you want some playoff-level excitement in Mm -hmm. May or June, and I think a no-hitter is the best way to do it. Don't keep it a secret. Oh, my God. That would be like, oh, what happened? Did you see what happened in the baseball game? No. Nothing happened. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's not talk about it. I'm not
1: allowed it's to a talk secret. about it. Yeah, no, I agree. And I like, I like getting those notifications. And last year, the beginning of the season, it felt like we were getting them all the time. But it was, like you said, it made, especially the beginning of the season when things are, you know, not particularly things aren't on the line yet, it makes it exciting. So I want to I tune in. I want to see what's going on.
0: Yeah, I was thinking, I mean, I've said this a couple of times, but superstition is infectious. So I'm quoting Mel Schwartz, article, Why Silence is a Relationship Killer, from 2014 <laughs> in, in Psychology <laughs> oh, so, Today. So
1: why you should be talking to it, to your pitcher in the dugout is what you're saying.
0: That's right. This was
1: about how
0: silence is going to be harmful to a traditional relationship. But I think a lot of this is applicable to the team dynamic, too. Problematic feelings that go unexpressed tend to percolate and boil over. They take on an energy of their own. And the ensuing conflict hours or days later may have little correlation to the original emotional insult. So if you're getting frozen out in the dugout, I hope you get the no-hitter because otherwise you might be stewing over these problems and it's it's not healthy for your long-term pitcher team relationship.
1: Well, yeah, because you're just ruminating, right? You're in that doom spiral. Not good.
0: When we think of controlling people, we think of loud and aggressive individuals, and so you think of bullies. But silent treatment might actually be worse, Ah. and also kind of a weird form of bullying. And at other times, silence is used to punish. There's nothing like the near triumph of pitching a no hitter, but you're being punished by being frozen out by your team. The more I read the psychological aspects of it, the more the more I'm stressed out about the silent treatment. Because one last thing from From Mel Schwartz, the psychotherapist and marriage counselor,
1: apparently,
0: manipulative silence is soul-defeating. The expressing of one's voice is life-affirming. Oh. So so talk to the pitcher. But superstition is infectious. And you could have a pitcher say, you know what, guys? I don't want to do this. If I'm throwing a no-hitter, talk about it in spring training. Take a poll. Ask every pitcher, hey, if there's a no-no, how do you want to approach this? And if a pitcher says, no, talk to me, I need to come tell me a joke, tell me something funny, give me, tell me how to get this guy out, do something, take my mind off of this. But it would take literally take one person on the dugout to say, no, no, we're not going to change the way we do things. This is how it's always been done. And we're going to do this. Jackie, I know you're a rational person. I know you don't believe in this this silent treatment because i'm pitching a perfect game every episode and you're always you're always jumping in and saying something to me
1: (laughs) that's right i'm always here to interrupt your train of thought watch your step all over your words i'm here for you
0: but my record stands so i I think it works out just fine with me speaks
1: for itself yeah
0: thanks for not defeating my soul
1: well i'm listening to the psychotherapist marriage counselor dude Well, the fans are heading home, the grounds crew is on the field, and we will see you next time at the ballpark. That's our pal Ron Lewis on the stadium, Oregon. And I'm Jackie Micucci.
0: And I'm Mark Butler.
1: And this was Bad Hops. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of Bad Hops is prohibited unless you like us, review us, or subscribe to Bad Hops. Find us at, at Bad Hops on Insta and everywhere else in social media. See you at the ballpark.
0: Bye, everybody. Knock wood.